Peace be with you. If you guys would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. You get to sit down for the next hour of my sermon, so just kidding, just kidding. Not an hour. Uh, We're going to be continuing on in Matthew. We've got uh, two weeks still in Matthew, and then we're going to take a little break from it as we look through some other pieces of Scripture. So we're going to be today in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen behind me or in your bulletin in front of you. Hear the word of the Lord. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Beware of the false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We know, Spirit, that you alone are the one that can illuminate the Word of God. You alone are the one that can let it um, transform us and change us. We pray that you would do just that this morning. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been journeying a long time through Matthew and more specifically, most recently, the the Sermon on the Mount. We're coming to the end of that, to the end of the greatest sermon ever given by the greatest preacher to have ever lived. And Jesus, for the last couple passages or uh, chapters of scripture, he's been painting a picture for us of what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen submitted to and shaped by Jesus, our King. It's a different way of being in the world, one that we'll see today. It calls and beckons a response. Each of these warnings that we see in today's passage, um, it's given in a twofold illustration. And so today we're going to look at three of those, and then next week we'll look at the final one in verses 24 through 29. So the couplets that we saw earlier that Jesus laid out is, is how we're going to kind of break down the text today. We're going to look at the two gates, the wide and the narrow gate, the two trees, good fruit trees and bad fruit trees, and then two doers, those who simply are professing Christians and those who are simply trying to be performing Christians. And as we look at each of those, these warnings, what we're going to see is that a transformed and obedient life reveals true faith in Jesus. A transformed and obedient life reveals true faith 
and Jesus. So Jesus starts off with the two gates. If you look at me with, in verse four, uh, 13 and 14, he says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. So Jesus, he starts with a broad warning here. This is kind of, uh, and he narrows as we go along. So he starts with this huge warning looking at the world. Then he narrows it down a little bit to, to the church when we talk about false prophets. And then finally we'll see in the, next, in the last two warnings that he's um, narrowing it down in on our own hearts, our own selves. But what we see here in this, this first illustration is that Jesus brings us face to face with the exclusive claims of Christianity brings us face-to-face with the exclusive claims of Christianity. Now, every, everything I read this week as I prepared, it said something along the lines of, like, this day and age, people don't like that, right? No matter when it was written or who it was written by, where they were writing it, they always said the same thing. And I think I could say the same thing today, right? That every generation, or even now, this is a hard thing to hear, right? The exclusive claims of Christ. The reality is that no generation anywhere, no matter where you've lived or when you've lived, has ever been cool with this. We don't like exclusive claims of truth. It's part of our fallen nature. We don't like the absolute nature of the choice before us, right? You've all, you've all heard like the Model T when it first came out, you could have any color as long as it was black. We don't, we don't like that, right? We want to be able to choose like mint green or uh, maroon or something. I don't know. We don't like abs- the absolute nature of the choice before us. We'd prefer to be given many options, or even better to, to scoop all the religions together into one big conglomerate religion where everyone made it no matter what path they choose. But Jesus, he cuts through all that. He won't allow us the comfortable solutions that we ourselves propose. We as humans, we try to come up with these, hey, Jesus, have you ever thought about trying it this way? He cuts through all that, and he gives us two possibilities to choose from. He says the narrow gate and the difficult road, or we can choose the wide gate and the easy road. The easy road, or the highway to hell, as uh, the NLT puts it, it's the the road of the majority. It's kind of like the default path. It's life outside of loyalty with Christ. It's full of the width of moral permissions and the tempting pleasures of a seemingly fuller life. And the wide gate, it's the, the whatever pleases you path. Um, ACDC, I know none of you in here listen to them, but they have the song called Highway to Hell, right? It says, no stop signs, speed limit, nobody's going to slow me down, right? There's no rules or restrictions here. We can do what we want. Like a wheel, going to spin it. Nobody's going to mess me around. Hey, Satan paid my dues. Yikes. Playing in a rock and roll band. Hey, mama, look at me. I'm on my way to the promised land. Woo, Right? The highway to hell, okay, it's the easy road. It's the no rules way. The gate is wide, and the majority of people choose that route. On the other side, though, the gate to enter into God's kingdom, it says, God, uh, Jesus says it's narrow. Matthew says only a few will ever find it. Now, this isn't to say that, that the, the gate itself is difficult to find. Like, we, Jesus is trying to, like, juke us out or something like that, okay? He's not trying to jump around us but rather it's, it's just overlooked. Um, there's a great movie franchise, Indiana Jones. Any fans? Yeah? No? You guys, yeah, I know no one watches or listens to classic rock, and no one likes 80s, 90s movies here, so it's cool. You guys are holier than I am. That's fine. Um, in the final scene, okay, of, of the Holy Grail, or uh, whatever, Last Crusade, Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, they're on this hunt for the Holy Grail, right? They've got to find the Holy Grail, 
gives eternal life. Awesome. Everyone wants that. So Indy and the bad guys, they, they go through this like gauntlet of tests with all these like things that will kill you. They finally make it through to the last test where they actually have to choose the grail. And there's this huge selection of grails before them. Then this old frail knight is in there, and he's like, you, you have to choose wisely, essentially. One grail will lead to life. One grail will lead to death. So the antagonist gets there. He's with his evil hench, henchwoman. She's a gal. They're looking around, okay, right? And this one beautiful chalice catches their eye, right? She says, I want to choose this one. So he chooses it, dips it in the water to test the chalice, drinks it. And then we see a Nazi like shrivel up and, to, and burst into dust. It's traumatic. As you're, if you're a kid watching that, it's like it's horrifying. But then Indiana Jones, right? He comes along. It's his turn to, to pick. He knows that Jesus was one of humble means. He knows that though he's a king, he's different than earthly kings. So Indy looks for the grail of a humble carpenter. It's pretty unattractive. It's overlooked. It's, it's, you got to look around the big giant gold chalices with jewels on it. So he picks it up, dips in the water, drinks it. Spoilers, it's the right chalice. Okay, it's 30 years old though, so if you haven't seen it, that's on you. But he lives, goes, you know, you know the rest. Saves his dad because he has eternal life chalice. Anyways, but so the, the scene, right? Okay, the reason I, I share all this, the scene, it gives us a good picture of the two paths. The wide path is the easy one. It looks awesome. It's appealing to the eye. It's alluring. But the narrow and difficult path, it's often overlooked. It's a chalice that, that gets looked over. The wide and the easy path, it's, it's the one the majority is on. Ideologically, it's not narrow and it's thinking, it's open-minded. Morally, it's not restrictive. Don't tell anyone what to do. It's got very few rules. Virtually anything goes. And then spiritually, it's inclusive. There's, there's many, many ways to get to the end. But the narrow gate, the one that's overlooked, again, it's the one that doesn't stand out. It may not look like pomp and circumstance, but it's, it's the wiser of the two choices. And really, it's the only choice that leads to life. And we need to see here that, that this is a choice, right? In verse 13, Jesus says, enter the narrow gate. That means you have to, like, choose. I'm going to reach out to the, the gate handle. I'm going to open it up. And in the same way, he says about the, the wide road, even though that's the default path, he says they choose that way. There's a choice here. Life is filled with choices and decisions, even in the Christian life. And we, all, we see all throughout Scripture that there's a choice that we can make between the path of righteousness and the path of destruction, Joshua 24, 15, Joshua calls you to choose which God or gods you'll serve. Big G gods or little g gods you will serve. Psalm 1, it calls you to choose the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. Proverbs 15, 19, it calls you to choose the way of the slacker or the way of the upright. And then Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20, it says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Choose life. There's just, there's no neutrality to Jesus. He calls us to a choice, and these two paths are the paths that go in opposite directions. Okay, we often think of like, oh, we get to this fork in the road, right? No, that's not what it is. You can't hop off the wide road and drive on the frontage road alongside it and then decide to hop back on, right? This is a left and right decision. 
path of righteousness goes this way, the path of destruction goes that way. It's not like a, they're really close and you can hop on and off whenever you want. If you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to seriously consider what Jesus is saying. In John uh, seven, t- John 10, 7 through 10, he, he says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. He emphasizes that again. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose, purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. There's not, there's not some secret route here, right? Even though it's an exclusive claim of Christ, you all have heard it. You are now included in that claim of Christ. It's offered to you. You can either get frustrated at it, or you can get frustrated at it, but there's no neutrality to it. It's a, it's a I'm in or out decision. You can't avoid the, the exclusivity of the claim. And the dominant idea here is that to enter into true life, it is necessary to make a choice a personal choice, no longer to, to shuffle along in the anonymous, anonymous crowds, but on the contrary, to find and to follow Christ, to actually enter into the narrow gate. And Christians, one, one thing that we need to hear in this verse that we, we often think we're like, oh man, I made it through the gate, I'm good. Got my, my, in, my fire insurance card, I'm there. But Jesus says going through the gate actually leads us down the hard road. You guys hear that? Getting through the gate is not enough. It's going down the narrow, hard, difficult road of discipleship. We think like, oh, I stepped in the gate, I'm good, I'm there. That's not what it is. The whole Sermon on the, on the Mount that we've been looking at is about this difficult road that Jesus is calling us to. It's the road of continually denying yourself, becoming more Christ-like in character. It's loving your enemies. It's not being spiritually prideful. It's being faithful to obey God's word. It's being whole as God is whole. It's a hard and arduous journey to walk through. As one scholar puts it, um, we're not in heaven as soon as we've got through the straight gate. Y'all hear that? We're not in heaven as soon as we get, have gotten through the straight gate. We're not in Canaan as soon as we got through the Red Sea. No, we must go through a wilderness, must travel a narrow way. So the call to enter the gate, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at the gate and getting on the other side of that. It's a call to walk the difficult road, to follow Jesus on the path of righteousness, a path that it does not come easy. It is not without peril. It's not without heartache. A transformed life, entering the narrow gate in an obedient life, walking the difficult road, they reveal true faith in Jesus. So Jesus, he then moves on. He gives us a, a warning about false teachers, and he uses an illustration of two trees. Okay, again, he's narrowing scope here. He starts with the world, then he's looking at the church, and then we'll look at ourselves in a second. In verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. So prophets, it's not the language we tend to use, but think of false teachers, false pastors, false leaders, false Christian influencers. Jesus warns us that, that there will be people that sneak in to the church disguised as sheep, even though they are wolves. Wolves, they're, they're the worst enemy that a sheep has, and especially ones that are disguised. These wolves that are in the church, they're, they're biting and devouring the harmless sheep who really are helpless against them, or so we think. Okay, it's easy to look at this verse and think, well, I don't have a seminary degree, and I've read the Bible a little bit, but all these 
teachers that I sit under, they've read it a lot more than I have. They've read those big old theology books and I haven't. But Jesus puts us at ease. He says that you can and you should identify these wolves, these false teachers. He doesn't say, hey, you got to have an MDiv to identify false prophets. Okay? You don't have to have your doctorate to identify false prophets. You don't have to do the Bible in 90 days to identify false prophets. What does he say? Um, he says that you can identify them by their fruits. That is, by the way that they act. And then he gives us an illustration about the two trees. He says, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes? No. Or figs from thistles? No. A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. He makes it simple for us. He says that a false prophet at some point, again, false leader, false teacher, at some point will be found out. At some point they will be found out. You can't get grapes from a thorn bush, can't get figs from, a th- from thistles. Those are different than we're used to. So you can't get, can't get grapes from an apple tree. You can't get apples from an orange tree. Good trees always bring about good fruit. What should we look for then as we identify false teachers by their fruit? I think there's two main tests that we can look at. There's the doctrinal test, then the ethical test. So the doctrinal test, think of this as the gate test, right? Are these guys getting me through the gate, if you will? Um, Simply put, are they teaching the gospel of Jesus? Are they teaching the gospel of Jesus? That salvation is found in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. One pastor, Danny Aiken, he puts it like this. He, he says, here's the, the deadly mathematics of false teachers. I think this is awesome. Even if you hate math, this is great. Um, the doctrinal test asks whether they avoid the deadly mathematics of false teachers. And here's all your, your, uh, your mathematic terms. That add to the Bible, subtract from the person and work of Christ, or multiply the requirements of salvation, and divide the people of God by a divisive and destructive spirit. So as we think about how, how on earth can I identify false prophets, it's simply looking through these things and asking, do they, do they add to the Bible? Do they say things that's in Scripture that isn't there? Do they subtract from the person and work of Christ? As we talked about earlier, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything for salvation. Do they subtract from the person and work of Christ saying, well, yeah, it's Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. That's subtracting from the um, salvific work of Christ. Do they multiply the requirements of salvation? Well, yeah, you got to do this, but you got to do this too. And then lastly, this is really important. Do they divide the people of God by a divisive and destructive spirit? If a teacher's congregation is being divided by the, the words that they speak, Odds are something's wrong at the root, the teacher. So there's the doctrinal test, and then second, the ethical test. Think of this as the road test we talked about earlier. It's not about getting through the gate, but walking the hard and arduous road. False teachers get through the gate, and then they look at the hard and arduous road, and they're like, dang, that looks hard. I'm not going to walk that life. They practice what they preach. These are questions you should ask. Are they living out the hard social commands that Jesus teaches, namely humility? My gosh, how many arrogant pastors are there if if we can get real, right? They preach a message of kindness, but then go around and bully the congregation? It's not bearing good fruit. 
They preach a message of honesty, but lie their way out of sticky situations. It's not producing good fruit. They teach a message of repentance, but haven't said, I'm sorry, do you forgive me in a decade? It's not a tree producing good fruit. So a prophet, if he claims to be a true prophet, then as John the Baptist says way back in Matthew, we saw this a long time ago, they will bear the fruit that aligns with the kingdom life that they're, they're claiming to be a representative of. Now in the agricultural imagery here, okay, Jesus gives us, we need to realize that fruit takes a little while to grow, right? We can get frustrated sometimes. We're like, well, this, this pastor's been here, I mean, shoot, I've been here four months. You guys are like, y'all don't know me, right? You're like, I want to know now whether or not this dude's a false prophet. Well, my fruit will reveal itself, right? We have to remember the agricultural imagery that Jesus is giving if you think of just an apple tree alone, apple trees take from seed to fruit, take five to 10 years. Now the challenge for the church is that pastors, the average stay is two years. Well, shoot, man. That's why guys can run around and tear churches up and no one will know. But we have to be patient as God's people. Fruit, bad fruit will reveal itself as bad fruit, but it does take time. The agricultural imagery that Jesus is, is showing us, he's trying to reveal that, that it takes time to see this, this bad or good fruit. But we who are true disciples of Christ, we can trust ourselves. We can trust that we will be able to identify false, false prophets, false teachers, and their fruit will reveal itself. Jesus reiterates that for us in verse 20. He says, yes, Truly, truly, right? Just as you identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So as we look at our teachers, the pastors, the leaders, the Christian influencers of our day, that which we've already seen um, is, is true about the world, is, is true for them as well, that a transformed and obedient life reveals true faith in Jesus. We can identify whether or not somebody is a false prophet by looking for both transformation and obedience, so then Jesus, he continues on, okay? He goes to his, his next example, looking at two doers. And really, as I said earlier, he's moved from the world, he's moved to the church, and now he's moving to us. And honestly, this is probably one of the scariest passages in Scripture, if we're real with ourselves. We look at that and we're like, oh my gosh. And we should, I really think so. Um, but we look at the two doers. Look at verse 21 with me. 21 through 23, is that not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Again, that's, oh man, that's a crazy passage. That's a scary passage, even as Christians. Sometimes we look at that, we don't know what to do with it. But we need to see that Jesus, he, he's talking about two different camps here, okay? He, he has two different groups of people. There's those who are merely, here when I say merely professing Christ, or they're merely professing Christians. And then he has another group, and again, emphasis on the merely, who are merely performing for Christ. Okay? There are those who are merely professing Christians and merely those who are performing Christians. So there's the group that just gives lip service, to Jesus, Lord, Lord, right? Like I was saved when I was five, stuff like that. I go to church all the time. Then there's those who are merely performing Christians. Look at all these amazing things I did for you, Jesus. And I did them all in your name. 
Those are the two camps that he's talking to. And Jesus says, you can't, you can't rely on mere words to make it into the kingdom. We saw that earlier, that just getting through the gate is not what it's about. Entering the narrow gate, giving just a profession to Christ, it requires then that we start the road of discipleship, the difficult road. It requires that we actually do the will of the Father. That's what it says in this text. Theologian uh, D.A. Carson, he writes about relying solely on your profession of faith. And this is a longer quote, so stay with me. It's really good, though. He says this, It is true, of course, that no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience. But it is equally true that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient. It is true that men are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. But it is equally true that God's grace in a man's life inevitably results in obedience. Any other view of grace cheapens grace and turns it into something unrecognizable. Cheap grace preaches forgiveness without repentance, church membership without rigorous church discipline, discipleship without obedience, blessing without persecution, joy without righteousness, results without obedience. In the entire history of the church, church, has there ever been another generation with so many nominal Christians and so few real obedient ones? And where nominal Christianity is compounded by spectacular profession, confession of faith, it is especially likely to manufacture its own false assurance. I think that last line is so important for us. Where nominal Christianity is compounded, so where we tell people, oh, all you got to do is say this, this sinner's prayer and get baptized and you're good. That's nominal Christianity. It's compounded And basically, it manufactures a false assurance because then people just look back and they say, well, yeah, I mean, I haven't been to church in 30 years, but look at what I did when I was five. That's not the Christian faith. Jesus calls us to enter the narrow gate and then to walk the hard road. A transformed and obedient life, it reveals true faith in Jesus. So again, to use Jesus' earlier metaphor, it's both entering the narrow gate and walking the diff- difficult road. Jesus is saying, hey, you, you can't just know the secret password, all right? You can't just say, Lord, Lord, and, and think that that's what gets you into heaven. Just because you say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean you know me or I know you, is what Jesus is saying. But then he moves on. He, he says, you can't merely rely on your external actions, or even more importantly, your spectacular actions. How easy is it, uh, is it to do the work of Jesus and yet not live under Jesus' rule and reign? We've experienced, um, many of us, personally, or, or even in the, the, the congregations we're in, we, many of us have experienced this, and it's sad. We know somebody that seems to do these amazing things for Jesus, but then seemingly out of nowhere, they, they walk away from their faith or abandon their spouse or commit a heinous crime. It's a sad experience for us. But how many times have we seen it, like, especially just in the last 10 years? And it's not just big name, like influential pastors, but even in our own midst. It's heartbreaking. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, it, it kind of like, it sends us reeling a little bit. How can somebody that has influenced me so much do that? How can somebody that has preached such amazing sermons do that? How can somebody that's written amazing songs do that? It's a reality that we're faced with, that bad trees will produce bad fruit. 
Jesus is trying to get us to understand that what, what we think entrance into the kingdom looks like is a little bit askew. That in our culture of success or bigger and better, that that's the barometer for Christian obedience and Christian faith. But it's not. All these people are like, hey man, we prophesied in your name. Does that count? Nope. Hey, we did miracles in your name. Does that count, Jesus? Nope. We could say that for, for the church today. Hey, I grew the church into, mega, into a mega church in your name, Jesus. Or, hey, I wrote 30 books in your name, Jesus. But he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. And I think that that is the scariest thing about the Christian faith, is that it is strangely possible to serve and to even glorify Christ and yet not truly know him. Y'all hear that? It's strangely possible to serve and even to glorify Christ and yet not truly know him. All these things that these people that Jesus um, is talking about, that they mention all these things, and, and Jesus says, no, 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 you're, you're not getting what I'm getting at. Right? The whole Sermon on the Mount is it's a pathway of discipleship. It's the hard road. He says, this is, this is how you get there. You want to get there? Here you go. It's not about all these spectacular actions. It's less sensational and it's more simple. It's revering Scripture's commandments. It's casting out your anger. It's the miracles of sexual purity and marital fidelity. It's the careful speech that doesn't misuse God's name. It's the heart that extends itself even to persecutions and enemies. Jesus says, the Sermon on the Mount is, is my barometer. He says, these are the miracles of fruit that I command as the will of the Father. Let's go. This, this scary section of Scripture is so vital for us to take seriously. Okay? I, I myself, as somebody who wholly believes uh, in, the, in the doctrine of assurance that comes through the Holy Spirit, or the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints that says, God will finish the work that he has already started. I wholly believe those things. But I think we must seriously look at this text and ask ourselves, do I really know God? Or am I merely um, relying on my lip service, Lord, Lord? Or trying to do spectacular things? God, I did X, Y, and Z in your name. Do I understand and truly believe that a transformed and obedient life reveals my true faith in Christ? And I think you need to ask yourselves the same questions. Do you know Jesus or do you know about Jesus? Are you really living a transformed and obedient life or are you hoping that, that knowing the verbal passcode will get you in? Lord, Lord, or the sinner's prayer, whatever it may be. Are you really living a transformed and obedient life or are you just doing for God rather than being with God? Do you really understand and you, do you truly believe with all your heart and with all your mind that a transformed and obedient life reveals your true faith in Christ? I think that's what this text is calling us to, the calling us to really reflect on. The Sermon on the Mount, it, it is a call to true life in the kingdom of God. It's one that's truly, truly transformed by knowing King Jesus. We can't rely on a mere profession of faith. We can't rely on mere performance of our faith. We can only rely on a person. Jesus Christ, 
And the reality is that when we respond to Jesus, okay, when we enter the narrow gate, we begin a hard and arduous journey. It's a difficult road, but it's one that leads to life, and it will always lead to good fruit if the tree is good. So if you're here today and, and you're not a Christian, you, you have a choice in the matter, as we talked about earlier. Jesus is inviting you to enter the narrow gate. It's overlooked, but it's there. Or you can choose to continue to walk the road with the masses, to rely on, on the easy road, walk that path. I think it's important that we realize that, that when we enter the narrow gate and we walk the hard road, that it's entry into a kingdom that is, that is here and now. It's not just some reality when I die. The kingdom of God influences us here and now. He's calling all of us to enter into the narrow gate and to join him on the hard road of becoming more like him. It's not easy, but it is truly the path to life. Every Sunday when we gather together, um, we take a meal together called communion. This meal that we take is a reminder to us of the gospel of Jesus, of what he has done for us. It reminds us that we can't merely rely on our profession or we can't merely rely on our performance, but we can only rely on the person of Christ. So Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, uh, he gave thanks before the meal. He took a piece of bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this wine, you're announcing Christ's death until he returns. Here at Sojourn, our tradition is to take off a piece of bread and dip it into the juice. Um, there will be stations up here at the front. Um, there, I think we have instructions on the screen of where you need to go. Um, there's gluten-free over to my left and your right. Um, if you're not able to come forward to partake in the elements, you can stay seated and we'll bring the elements to you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you haven't chosen Christ, if you haven't chosen to enter the narrow gate, we ask that you not partake in this meal, not because we want to exclude you, but the reality is that this meal is a, um, is a meal shared by Christians. And so if you're not about the reality of Christ, we don't want you to partake in this meal. However, we would love to talk to you more about what that looks like to become a Christian and prepare you to take communion with our family even next week. Let me pray for us. Um, our servants will come forward, and as you um, are ready to take communion, feel free to come forward. Father, this is a, a hard text for us to, to look at and understand. God, there's, there's things here that are just hard truths. God, the exclusivity of Christ, naming one, um, and then hearing um, just that people will come before you and cry, Lord, Lord, and um, some of those people you'll say, away from me, I never knew you. God, may we be a church that really knows you. God, we ask that you would transform our hearts and our minds. We don't want to be a church that's all about um, just mere profession or mere performance. But God, we want to be a church that is about you. Father, as we take this meal together, as we take this communion meal together, may we meditate on the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we remember that he is the gate, that he sacrificed everything for us, for our entry into the gate. Jesus, we're thankful for what you have done for us. We pray all this in your name. Amen.